0: Chapter 10 of Clotel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tim Ferreira. Clotel by William Wells Brown. Chapter 10 The Young Christian. Here we see God dealing in slaves, giving them to his own favorite child, Abraham, a man of superlative worth, and as a reward for his eminent goodness. REVEREND THEODORE CLAPP OF NEW ORLEANS. On Carleton's return the next day from the farm he was overwhelmed with questions from Mr. Peck as to what he thought of the plantation, the condition of the Negroes, Huckleby and Snyder, and especially how he liked the sermon of the latter. Mr. Peck was a kind of a patriarch in his own way. To begin with, he was a man of some talent. He not only had a good education, but was a man of great eloquence and had a wonderful command of language. He, too, either had or thought he had poetical genius, and was often sending contributions to the Natchez Free Trader and other periodicals. In the way of raising contributions for foreign missions, he took the lead of all others in his neighborhood. Everything he did he did for the glory of God, as he said. He quoted scripture for almost everything he did. Being in good circumstances, he was able to give to almost all benevolent causes to which he took a fancy. He was a most loving father, and his daughter exercised considerable influence over him, and owing to her piety and judgment that influence had a beneficial effect. Carlton, though a schoolfellow of the Parsons, was nevertheless nearly ten years his junior, and though not an avowed infidel, was, however, a free-thinker, and one who took no note of tomorrow. And for this reason Georgiana took peculiar interest in the young man, for Carlton was but little over thirty and unmarried. The young Christian felt that she would not be living up to that faith that she professed and believed in if she did not exert herself to the utmost to save the thoughtless man from his downward career, and in this she succeeded to her most sanguine expectations. She not only converted him, but in placing the scriptures before him in their true light, she redeemed those sacred writings from the charge of supporting the system of slavery which her father had cast upon them in the discussions some days before. Georgiana's first object, however, was to awaken in Carlton's breast a love for the Lord Jesus Christ. The young man had often sat under the sound of the gospel with perfect indifference. He had heard men talk who had grown gray bending over the scriptures, and their conversation had passed by him unheeded. But when a young girl, much younger than himself, reasoned with him in that innocent and persuasive manner that woman is wont to use when she has entered with her whole soul upon an object, it was too much for his stout heart, and he yielded. Her next aim was to vindicate the Bible from sustaining the monstrous institution of slavery. She said, God has created of one blood all the nations of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. To claim, hold, and treat a human being as property is felony against God and man. The Christian religion is opposed to slaveholding in its spirit and its principles. It classes men-stealers among murderers, and it is the duty of all who wish to meet God in peace to discharge that duty in spreading these principles. Let us not deceive ourselves into the idea that slavery is right because it is profitable to us. Slaveholding is the highest possible violation of the Eighth Commandment. To take from a man his earnings is theft, but to take the earner is a compound, lifelong theft, and he who professes to follow in the footsteps of our Redeemer should do our utmost to extirpate slavery from the land. For my own part I shall do all I can, when the Redeemer was about to ascend to the bosom of the Father and resume the glory which he had with him before the world was, he promised his disciples that the power of the Holy Ghost should come upon them, and that they should be witnesses for him to the uttermost parts of the earth. What was the effect upon their minds? They all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women. Stimulated by the confident expectation that Jesus would fulfill his gracious promise, they poured out their hearts in fervent supplications, probably for strength to do the work which he had appointed them unto, for they felt that without him they could do nothing, and they consecrated themselves on the altar of God to the great and glorious enterprise of preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ to a lost and perishing world. Have we less precious promises in the scriptures of truth? May we not claim of our God the blessing promised unto those who consider the poor, The God will preserve them and keep them alive, and they shall be blessed upon the earth? Does not the language, inasmuch as ye did it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye did it unto me, belong to all who are rightly engaged in endeavoring to unloose the bondman's fetters? Shall we not then do as the apostles did? Shall we not, in view of the two million of heathen in our very midst, in the view of the souls that are going down in an almost unbroken phalanx to utter perdition, continue in prayer and supplication that God will grant us the supplies of his Spirit to prepare for us that work which he has given us to do? shall not the wail of the mother as she surrenders her only child to the grasp of the ruthless kidnapper or the traitor in human blood animate our devotions shall not the manifold crimes and horrors of slavery excite more ardent outpourings at the throne of grace to grant repentance to our guilty country and permit us to aid in preparing the way for the glorious second advent of the messiah by preaching deliverance to the captives and the opening of the prison doors to those who are bound Georgiana had succeeded in riveting the attention of Carlton during her conversation, and as she was finishing her last sentence, she observed the silent tear stealing down the cheek of the newly born child of God. At this juncture, her father entered, and Carlton left the room. "Dear Papa," said Georgiana, "will you grant me one favor, or rather make me a promise? I can't tell, my dear, till I know what it is." Replied Mr. Peck, "If it is a reasonable request, I will comply with your wish." Continued he. "I hope, my dear." answered she, that Papa would not think me capable of making an unreasonable request. "'Well, well,' returned he, "'tell me what it is.' "'I hope,' said she, "'that in your future conversation with Mr. Carlton on the subject of slavery "'you will not speak of the Bible as sustaining it.' "'Why, Georgiana, my dear, you are mad, ain't you?' exclaimed he in an excited tone. The poor girl remained silent. The father saw in a moment that he had spoken too sharply, and taking her hand in his, he said— now my dear child why do you make that request because returned she i think he is on the stool of repentance if he has not already been received among the elect he you know was bordering upon infidelity and if the bible sanctions slavery then he will naturally enough say that it is not from god for the argument from internal evidence is not only refuted but actually turned against the bible if the bible sanctions slavery then it misrepresents the character of god Nothing would be more dangerous to the soul of a young convert than to satisfy him that the Scriptures favored such a system of sin. Don't you suppose that I understand the Scriptures better than you? I have been in the world longer. Yes, said she, you have been in the world longer, and amongst slaveholders so long, that you do not regard it in the same light that those do who have not become so familiar with its everyday scenes as you. I once heard you say that you were opposed to the institution when you first came to the South. Yes, yes. answered he. I did not know so much about it then. With great deference to you, Papa, replied Georgiana, I don't think that the Bible sanctions slavery. The Old Testament contains the explicit condemnation of it, He that stealeth a man and selleth him, or if he be found in his band, he shall surely be put to death, and Woe unto him that buildeth his house by unrighteousness, and his chambers by wrong, that useth his neighbour's service without wages, and giveth him not for his work when also the New Testament exhibits such words of rebuke as these, Behold the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth, and the cries of them who have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. The law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons. A more scathing denunciation of the sin in question is surely to be found on record in no other book. I am afraid, continued the daughter, that the acts of the professed friends of Christianity in the South do more to spread infidelity than the writings of all the atheists which have ever been published. The infidel watches the religious world. He surveys the Church, and lo, thousands and tens of thousands of her accredited members actually hold slaves. Members in good and regular standing, fellowshipped throughout Christendom except by a few anti slavery churches, generally despised as ultra and radical, reduce their fellow men to the condition of chattels, and by force keep them in that state of degradation. Bishops, ministers, elders, and deacons are engaged in this awful business, and do not consider their conduct as at all inconsistent with the precepts of either the Old or New Testaments. Moreover, those ministers and churches who do not themselves hold slaves, very generally defend the conduct of those who do and accord to them a fair christian character and in the way of business frequently take mortgages and levy executions on the bodies of their fellow men and in some cases of their fellow christians now is it a wonder that infidels beholding the practice and listening to the theory of professing christians should conclude that the bible inculcates a morality not inconsistent with chattelizing human beings and must not this conclusion be strengthened when they hear ministers of talent and learning Declare that the Bible does sanction slaveholding, and that it ought not to be made a disciplinable offence in churches? And must not all doubt be dissipated when one of the most learned professors in our theological seminaries asserts that the Bible recognizes that the relation may still exist, salva fide et salva ecclesia, without injury to the Christian faith or church, and that only the abuse of it is the essential and fundamental wrong? Are not infidels bound to believe that these professors, ministers, and churches understand their own Bible, and that, consequently, notwithstanding solitary passages which appear to condemn slaveholding, the Bible sanctions it? When nothing can be further from the truth. And as for Christ, his whole life was a living testimony against slavery and all that it inculcates. When he designed to do us good, he took upon himself the form of a servant. He took a station at the bottom of society. He voluntarily identified himself with the poor and the despised. The warning voices of Jeremiah and Ezekiel were raised in olden time against sin. Let us not forget what followed. Therefore thus saith the Lord, Ye have not hearkened unto me in proclaiming liberty every one to his brother, and every one to his neighbor? Behold, I proclaim a liberty for you, saith the Lord, to the sword, to the pestilence, and to the famine. Are we not virtually as a nation adopting the same impious language? and are we not exposed to the same tremendous judgments? Shall we not, in view of those things, use every laudable means to awaken our beloved country from the slumbers of death, and baptize all our efforts with tears and with prayers, that God may bless them? Then, should our labor fail to accomplish the end for which we pray, we shall stand acquitted at the bar of Jehovah, and although we may share in the national calamities which await unrepented sins, yet that blessed approval will be ours. Well done, good and faithful servants." "'Enter ye into the joy of your lord.' "'My dear Georgiana,' said Mr. Peck, "'I must be permitted to entertain my own views on this subject "'and to exercise my own judgment.' "'Believe me, dear Papa,' she replied, "'I would not be understood as wishing to teach you "'or to dictate to you in the least, "'but only grant my request not to allude to the Bible "'as sanctioning slavery when speaking with Mr. Carlton.' "'Well,' returned he, "'I will comply with your wish.' The young Christian had indeed accomplished a noble work, and whether it was admitted by the father or not she was his superior and his teacher georgiana had viewed the right to enjoy perfect liberty as one of those inherent and inalienable rights which pertain to the whole human race and of which they can never be divested except by an act of gross injustice and no one was more able than herself to impress those views upon the hearts of all with whom she came in contact modest and self-possessed with a voice of great sweetness and a most winning manner she could, with the greatest ease to herself, engage their attention. End of chapter Ten.